I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, Hawkeye fans, for another edition of the Hawkeye Nation Mailbag Podcast. I am Rob Howe, the publisher of HawkeyeNation.com. Sorry about that little blip there. I had to turn off my video uh, on, the, on the Zoom meeting that I record these things on. I got to look at myself, and man, that was not a good scene. Uh, have not gotten my hair cut, beard's a little unruly, uh, but... Uh, Oh, man, that was freaky. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening again. We are recording. um, It is Wednesday, of course, for the Mailbag Podcast, and this is May 20th, 2020, uh, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Iowa City time, and I appreciate you guys sending me your questions this week via Twitter, our Hawkeye Nation Facebook page, and also on our Hawkeye Nation message boards. Uh, as I've talked about before, uh, this is kind of a cyclical thing where uh, one week I'll get a lot on one of these platforms and not so many on the other. Uh, today was heavy on the message board questions, which I like because I interact with you guys as much as anybody else, probably more. Uh, so I will save those questions for uh, the back part of this podcast or the, you know, after I get through the social media platforms, just because I want to dig into those a little bit more. Um, and I don't have many on Twitter and Facebook today. So, uh, I'm going to dive in on, uh, let's dive in on Facebook first. Cause I only have one question there and that's from Kenneth Anderson. Uh, and he says, or asks, I know you're, I know you're a journalist, but part of your job also is taking photographs, which it is. I usually shoot the Iowa uh, football and men's basketball games and um, women's basketball games. I usually will shoot the first half of those games, go up and work on photos and um, my stories in the second half. Uh, and then wrestling, I usually shoot uh, all the way through because obviously uh, you're shooting different weights there. So you want to try to get everybody in. But yes, I do shoot photos. Um, are there any photographs that you took of sporting events that you especially are proud of, perhaps capture, capturing a special event or moment in time that you may even have on display at your home? No, I don't have any on display at my home. Um, I need to do a better job of going through that. I just, I get to the off season when I have time 
to do those things, to go through photos. And uh, I really enjoy looking back at the old recruiting photos. I've tweeted those out uh, of like Nate Stanley when he was on his visit or TJ Hawkinson when he was on his visit wearing a Kansas City Chiefs coat. Just looking back at those guys when they were on their recruiting visits at Kinnick Stadium and, and those photos, not, not really anything that's, uh, uh, I would say, is, is like, you know, awesome photography that's going to, you know, show up in a photography book or anything like that. But I just kind of look like looking back through the years of Hawkeye sports and history, but uh, the one Kenneth, and I'll think about this more and maybe answer uh, a little bit better in a, in a future podcast. But uh, the one that sticks out to me is the one that I shot during the 2000 would have been 2019 Outback Bowl. Um, the after the 2018 season against Mississippi State, um, I, I got a pretty good angle from the opposite uh, sideline, from the Mississippi State sideline, of Nick Easley, uh, the the long touchdown that he caught, and just the reaction, the reaction of Mississippi State players who were completely caught off guard by the play call, and then the reaction on the Iowa sidelines and in the Iowa stands. Uh, knowing that that was going to be a big score and a big play for Iowa in a game where points were certainly at a premium. So that one sticks out in my mind. I remember a photo I think I took of Damon Powell uh, at Pitt, I believe, whatever year that was, uh, 2012 maybe was the game at Pitt. Um and him catching uh, a deep ball. Maybe that was 2013. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, a deep ball that he caught. I was well positioned for that. I'm not the best photographer in the world, and I don't really – I try to just get clear, accurate photos. But um, I, there aren't any really that are sticking out in my mind. But I'll go back through and, and maybe take a look and, and get back to you on that. But I appreciate the, the question on that, Kenneth, uh, on our – Hawkeye Nation Facebook page. Let me flip over to Twitter here and run through a few of these, and then we will uh, move on to the message board questions. Uh, Go Hawks, up at, who is at Updates Hawk on Twitter, excuse me. What is your honest opinion on if there will be fans this football season? Also, what about basketball season? Well, as we speak, um, we started to get a little bit of movement the last day or so in that uh, some colleges are going to start bringing athletes back on campus here uh, in June. So it's kind of, we're starting to get a little movement um, in Iowa today. The governor uh, cleared the way for summer uh, high school baseball and softball. Uh, the governing bodies for those two sports still have to clear that and, and get over the logistical hurdles of making that safe. Uh, but it looks like, we could have sports here in the fall in some capacity. It's hard for me to think that there are going to be full stadiums. Uh, at most, I think you're going to have limited fans maybe in suites or spread out and socially distance in the stands themselves. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, you know, I, I, you ask for my honest opinion. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to have full stadiums. And I think if there are people in the regular stands, it's going to be very, it's going to be on a limited basis. That's my best guess, but really I have no inside information on that, but thank you for the question. Go Hawks. Uh, Eric, 
uh, at Hawk Fett, and he's got the Boba Fett uh, avatar. Uh, Eric on Twitter asks, What's being, what makes being an Iowa quarterback so much more difficult than any other schools? Can you compare and contrast Iowa to Iowa State or some other Big Ten school? Should it be as difficult as, as it is? You know, I, it's, to quantify that, Eric, would be hard. Um, I know in talking, uh, and, and you may have listened to this, and maybe that's what generated this question, I, I did a recent Hawkeye History podcast with Drew Tate talking about the complexity of playing the quarterback position at Iowa and the size of the playbook. Um, and it's just Iowa quarterbacks are asked to do a lot. They're asked to do a lot at the line of scrimmage. Uh, there aren't as many, um, I guess, variations to plays or play calls that you get at some other schools. Uh, some other schools don't have that. And a lot of the, the decisions are made from the sidelines. Uh, whereas the Iowa quarterback is, uh, has the, the controls to do a lot more than many quarterbacks. And I think that's probably at the, the base of, of why that, why Iowa is a little bit more difficult. Uh, it takes a guy that can go out there and read a defense, get in the right play, uh, can, you know, be able to communicate with the offensive line and his, his skill players. Um, just not as much of that uh, that you're going to find at at some at, at most other schools. I'm not really that familiar with Iowa State's uh, and some other. Um, um, what, what am I looking for here? The, that Iowa State scheme or how they run their offense or other Big Ten schemes. I can really only talk more to what I know Iowa does, and in talking to Iowa quarterbacks. Uh, kind of what, 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 how involved it is. And, and it may seem like a simple scheme or a simple offense, but if you look at the NFL and what quarterbacks are asked to do, uh, it's probably or definitely on a smaller scale at Iowa, but it's still complicated. The quarterback is uh, in charge of a lot. It's not where you look at hurry up offenses or spread offenses where, uh, you know, there, there aren't maybe as many personnel packages. Iowa uses plenty of different personnel packages, uh, you know, movement, um, pre-snap movement, things like that, that make it a little bit more difficult. And uh, not sure if I'm answering your question, maybe as well as you were, <laughs> you were hoping, Eric, but those are some of the reasons, at least in my mind, why I think it's probably uh, a little bit more and does it have to be that difficult? I think Brian Ferentz has done a good job of maybe simplifying some things here and there. Um, but uh, that's kind of how Iowa rolls. It, you know, there's that, that narrative that, you know, Iowa runs three plays and you know what they're going to do every week. But uh, that's a little bit too simplified, I think. There's a lot more going on there than maybe the, the average football person knows. And, and a lot of that is what I spoke to already. Um, and maybe I'll get a chance to uh, to talk to Ken O'Keefe about that or, or Brian Ferentz uh, when we get back and are able to do interviews again and maybe get a little bit more in-depth. Sounds like a good story idea, so I appreciate the question, Eric. Uh, HawkeyeRecap.com at HawkeyeRecap asks, after, after listening to your interview, I'm surprised Ryan Donahue had so few scholarship offers as a high school All-American. Glad he didn't for our sake, but do you have any insight as into why we talked about that a, a little bit recap um, on the podcast and, and for folks that are wondering what uh, he's referring to uh, our latest Hawkeye history podcast is with former Iowa punter, Ryan Donahue, um, a finalist for the Ray guy award twice and, and once a semifinalist and 
he was a, a, um, a U.S. All-American, played in the, the All-American Bowl in San Antonio as a senior. He was uh, well-regarded coming out of high school out of St. Rita in Chicago. And we talked about this a little bit on the podcast recap. It was at a time, what was it, 2006, I guess, was his. So 2006 was when he graduated from high school. You just didn't have as many specialists getting scholarship offers back then. I know Nate Kading and Schlicker got him for Iowa. But Iowa, I believe that Donahue was the first one offered a scholarship out of high school. Um, from in the Kirk Ferentz era, and that was in 2006, obviously, as we talked about. Uh, but it's become more prevalent now that guys are being offered. I think if Ryan was coming out now, there would have been a lot more schools on him, and schools are a much more uh, willing to give punters and kickers scholarships right now. So I think the landscape has changed quite a bit, and uh, you, to get the good ones, and, and now you've got the whole aspect that we talked about in the podcast about the you know Australian uh, pro kick Australia or whatever that school is that's sending a bunch of punters over to the United States. Uh, Ever changing dynamic. So um, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. But I think a lot of it is uh, is, is time. Uh, we move on to Trevor Roll, Trevor Rolk uh, at Rohawk on Twitter. With the TV contracts coming up in a few years, do you see another round of expansion like we saw seven or eight years ago? If the Big Ten does expand, do you think it's based on geographic fit or based on potential TV revenue? It's a really good question, Trevor. Um, you know, there's talk that they just go to like maybe four super conferences. I just, I, I think logistically when you're trying to, uh, set up conferences, the bigger you get, the harder it is to schedule and have actually true conference champions when you're, you know, you're, you're playing, you know, just a fraction of your conference each year in, in conference play. Uh, I think the big 10 has done a good job with that in basketball, expanding the 12 conference games. Uh, I guess you could expand the 10 conference games in football, but then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage uh, against the sec, Iowa, I think, or the big 10 is at a disadvantage now playing nine conference games, I think in a lot of instances, but um, it's a good question. It's all based on money. Uh, that's what this expansion stuff is, no matter what these uh, conference commissioners and uh, presidents of universities tell you. Uh, I do think with the Big Ten, and maybe this is just me being in the in, involved in it and not having maybe um, uh, as much – uh, maybe, maybe I'm, uh, what's the word I'm looking for bias when it comes to this. Uh, but I, I do think the big 10 does care about bringing in universities that are research universities and high academic standards. Um, and I don't think they'll, I don't think they will, um, give when it comes to that. Uh, you hear about, you know, a school like Notre Dame, but Notre Dame is a really good academic school, uh, undergraduate, uh, not really much of a research institution beyond that. Uh, so that kind of, I don't think the, the big 10 would balk at bringing Notre Dame in, but, uh, I don't think it's a given either. I think you would like to, to pick the cream, you know, the cream of the crop, the premium schools, maybe, uh, from some of the other conferences that aren't as, uh, I, I don't think you're going to pick from the SEC, but maybe the ACC maybe the big 12, maybe the PAC 12, you think of a Colorado, I think you, you might, you know, if you could get an Oklahoma or a Texas, uh, you know, or, or look at the S you know, or the ACC and, and 
I don't know, do you pick a Syracuse? So do you pick a, you know, a, a school in one of those conferences? Um, so I think, I, I don't know as they go uh, geographical. I think it's more based on TV revenue and splash. And I think there could be, there could come a point where uh, the power five conferences begin to um, cannibalize each other and try to grow that way and try to maybe make, you know, like I said, a small, maybe four, four power conferences, you break up into divisions and those divisions play within each other. And then you have a conference championship game of teams that hadn't really, you know, mostly never played during the regular season. And that could be geographical, a lot of possibilities there, but I, I definitely would not rule out conference expansion. So that does it for Twitter today. Let's move on to our Hawkeye nation. Uh, message board questions and we'll start with basketball because I think I got fewer on basketball than I did on football this week which makes sense Uh, that's the football board let me switch over to the basketball board here Ian Pikehammer asks how old is Carver Hawkeye Arena is it time to think about a new building yeah, probably not. <laughs> not. And I don't mean to laugh, but with the pandemic and, and the financial hit that these universities and athletic departments are going to take, probably not a good idea or time for a, uh, uh, a new arena. But um, Iowa will have the volleyball down in, at the Coralville River Landing, uh, the Iowa River Landing in Coralville, where they will play uh, the volleyball matches at that arena. Um, smaller arena so i think that kind of answers the question there i think harvard hawk arena opened in 83 i could be wrong on that and there's probably people yelling at their uh listening devices right now that i'm an idiot but i think it was 83 so yeah it's an older arena there have been renovations here and there locker room renovations kind of behind the scene behind the scenes renovations that have gone on not a whole lot in the arena itself uh so uh that's something I think they could look at. It'd be great to have a new arena. I, I think Carver Hawkeye Arena, from a acoustics perspective, it's it's great. I, I, you don't have to have a ton of people in there to make it loud, but just from people having to walk up those steps and then the lines at the elevator after the game for for people that can't walk the steps, it's just not it's not very very well built in that regard. Uh, and then we got Ian Pike Hammer asking again. Uh, we know the offense will be good this year in points per game on defense. What should we be looking for if we want to win a Big Ten title and more? I'm specifically looking at conference games. Did a little research. I try to. I actually try to be prepared for this thing, folks. Um, and I do go through some of the questions that I know that I may not have an answer for off the top of my head, and try to do a little bit of research. And I did look up. Um, the conference basketball stats from last year. Iowa led the conference again in scoring at 76.2. That was three points better than second place Michigan. And these are in conference games only. These do not count non-conference games because different, you know, and we've talked about this on the message boards. uh, There are different levels of non-conference scheduling. So this is a more apples to apples comparison. Wisconsin led the Big Ten in in scoring defense at 63.9. Iowa was 13th, second to last, at 75 a game. Um, And that was second. uh, That was better than only Nebraska at 79.4 with a program that was barely playing scholarship players. Uh, Ahead 
of Iowa in scoring defense was Northwestern at 72.4. So you're talking about two and a half point uh, per game difference, uh, quite a bit of a jump there. So Iowa just needs to be better defensively, and you have to hope that experience and playing together and chemistry and continuity will help that because you're not really going to change who you are from an athletic standpoint, not greatly. Anyway, guys do become, you know, can increase their athleticism and lateral quickness to a point. Uh, but I was going to have to do it more with, I think team defense and to put a number on it um, would be hard to do. Um, like I said, you look at Wisconsin at 63.9, uh, leading the you know leading the league in defense, uh, Wisconsin also ranked tenth in offense at sixty six point seven. So you're looking at a point differential of plus what almost four points per game. Iowa was plus a point and a half a game. Uh, that's where your difference has to come in. Uh, I I was going to be a good offensive scoring team uh, output that, you know, especially next year with Bohannon and Nunji coming back and Patrick McCaffrey, you're going to have more, even more options. And then you, you know, just the natural progressions of the guys that are coming back being better. I will, I, I think will will lead the big 10 in scoring again. Um, so say they average 76 a game. Can they get that scoring defense down to 70, 71, 72, have a differential of maybe five points a game, six points a game. I think that would, that would do wonders. And you can't have those games where you're just getting – just completely pack it in, like at Purdue or at Michigan where you're giving up 100. You can't give up 100 points a game and expect to win games. Iowa needs to be better than that uh, on a night-to-night basis, on a consistency basis. You can't play really good defense one night and limit a team to, you know, 65 points and then come back and give up 95. They can't have those just huge swings defensively. They need to be more consistent. Thank you for those questions, Ian. And we move on to uh, Hawkeyes Gone Wild. It seems Coach Billy Taylor is getting to Chicago. Can you see one of the assistants retiring so we can get some young blood? And who would you like to get? Thank you. Uh, this is from an assistant coaching standpoint. Yes, Billy Taylor is doing a nice job on the recruiting front. Uh, you know, just I, I don't think I was going to lock into a certain region, kind of like football. I mean, there are areas of the country, footprints, excuse me, of the country uh, where you want to, you know, at least you know, mine those those areas because you've had success or it's close geographically. Um, but you want to look under every rock when you're Iowa, whether you're football or basketball. And a lot of it's about relationships um, and connections and things like that. So I think that's helpful. Um, I still think Sherm Dillard's a pretty good recruiter. Um, Kirk Sparaw does his does nice work in, in recruiting in state and uh, just in terms of talent evaluation, uh, and I think all of those things are important. I don't see any of those guys close to retirement now. I could be off on that. I haven't really asked them about that. Um, if you're looking at who might come in as future assistants. I think you look at the guys that are in the coaching profession right now that uh, came through Iowa. I would love to see a former Hawkeye on that bench, whether it be 
bringing Dean Oliver from Wisconsin. I don't know if Dean would do that, but I think there's, you know, an opportunity there. You go after him. You look at Jeff Horner, who's the head coach at Truman State after being an assistant at North Dakota and being a high school coach in Iowa. Uh, I think he is constantly improving his resume. Matt Gatons is just getting, he's starting to get his feet wet at Drake. Um, you know, maybe when these guys are ready to retire, those guys have, you know, moved up the ladder, climbed the ladder even more and are uh, possibilities. But those would be my three guys. I would love to see an Iowa, an I, a former Iowa guy be back on the bench. Thank you for the question. Hawkeye's gone wild. Uh, Spider Rico with his multiple questions. He likes to hit me with multiple questions. And he still has that disturbing avatar of uh, the clown from it. What, Pen, is it Pennywise? I think <laughs> it's that movie with my kids. That thing is disturbing. I don't like clowns. Um, question one, assuming Luca comes back, this team reminds me a lot of the 14-15 Badger team that made it to the national title game. With all the experience and similar talent levels of Kaminsky and Garza and other role players, is it too much to ask to have a similar season to that, assuming no injuries, or is the defense just not there to allow it to happen? I just kind of touched on that when, uh, uh, with Ian Pikehammer's question, Spider Rico. I think that they can make improvements enough on defense. Uh, and even if you need to use Joe Toussaint more, I think it's going to come down to situational things maybe as well for Coach McCaffrey and his staff. You know, if you, you, you need to play an Aaron Eulis or a Tony Perkins just for defensive purposes, not a ton of minutes, but at least give – because I think a lot of it could come down to just, you know, fatigue. If you have fresh – guys that maybe aren't naturally good defenders or, or maybe have some limitations athletically, give them a little bit more rest. That makes them more efficient defenders. So I am of the belief that Iowa can make that difference between scoring and defense to be a final four contender. Um, just from an experience standpoint, chemistry standpoint, continuity standpoint, I think they can make that happen. Uh, question two from Spider. Assuming a full season is played, does Jabo break the Big Ten record for threes in a career currently held by John Diebler? Jabo has 284 and the record is 374, so he needs 90. That would be 90 to tie, 91 to break. And his three full seasons were 89, 96, and 79. Yeah, I mean, he's right in that ballpark, but again, I will say. Well, I was. Uh, does he? So you're asking me if he will. I will say he does not. And the reasoning is not that he's not good enough to do it. I think there's a, a, a roster that's full enough where he's not going to have to play as much or do as much to, to the point where he's going to have to shoot that much. You've got Wieskamp shooting threes. You've got C.J. Frederick. You've got Garza getting his touches. Nunji will get touches. Connor McCaffrey doesn't need to shoot a lot, but will shoot some because teams will leave him open. Uh, Joe Toussaint seemed like he was progressing as an offensive player last year. Patrick McCaffrey can give you offense. We'll see what the you know with the true fre or yeah with the true freshman what they can give you. I just don't think he's going to be needed that much. To he's going to need to shoot that much or going to put up as many threes to to get that record. Uh, so I'm going to go no. He does not break the record. Does Luca break Marble's record for scoring of 21-16 at Iowa? Luca has 15-59. I appreciate you giving me these numbers, Spider, so I don't have to look them up. Luca has 15-59, so he needs 557. Uh, yes, he gets that. He definitely gets that if he comes back and there's no injuries. He will break Marble's record. 
And does he break Bruner's record for career rebounds of 990? He currently has 660. He got 305 last year. Um, I'm going to say no. Again, I think there, he won't have to play as many minutes, even if he increases his um, per minute average of rebounds. I don't think he's going to be on the floor quite as much. They're going to try to save him a little bit more, uh, you know, and, and conserve him a little bit more. Um, and I expect Iowa to have more blowouts next year, especially if they're playing a little softer non-conference schedule. Uh, so that will give him less minutes, um, fewer minutes, if you will. So I don't think he gets the rebound record. So uh, Hawkeye Nation contributor Greg Bruner, his rebounding record uh, will be safe. Uh, QC Hawkness asks, uh, with j coming back into the fall next year, do you foresee Toussaint having issues going back to the bench? If the rules do change, allowing players to transfer without sitting out, I'd hate to see Toussaint take the demotion as an insult and seek a transfer. Thanks. It's hard to predict these things, QC. Um, and I like the Ricky, Ricky Davis avatar. Um, obviously the QCs for Quad Cities. Um, shout out to uh, – to <laughs> shout out to the – the, the quad cities, uh, love it over there. Love to visit when I can. We'll be looking forward to get back over there, uh, when I can. Um, it's a good question though. Um, you know, how many minutes is Joe makes Joe Toussaint happy? We talked about the defense and he is Iowa's best on ball defender. He is going to make Iowa a better defensive team. I think he gets enough minutes that he's happy. Um, I think there's going to be more of an even split here. I do think some of the starter minutes go down next year and guys get a little bit more. I think Fran goes a little bit. I know this is going to drive people crazy. Fran goes a little bit deeper into the rotation um, and, and it won't be asked as much of everybody. So Joseph's not, I think fall will fall into, Hey, everybody's contributing here. And then realize the year after that, he's going to have half, half his career where he's the guy. Um, so he takes next year as kind of a develop another step in his development. And then, you know, for his last two seasons, he can be the dude and uh, really, uh, you know, uh, run the show and, and be a, a major, major part of this program. So uh, I certainly, you always worry about that stuff, QC. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, minutes will be, there's so many, tra- there's so much transfer. There are so many transfers now that it's hard not to think about the possibility uh, of that happening. Let's, but let's hope not. I, I really, I really like Joe. I like his mental makeup. Uh, I don't think he's a, a me first guy. Uh, I think he wants to get better. And I think with the chemistry on this team and the chance, and, and if it can be as successful as we all hope it can be, I think that'll be enough to, uh, to make him happy. And he'll be a big enough part of it, hopefully, to make him happy. Uh, Hawk Nye asks, how much of football and basketball teams are in town and what are they doing? And then um, uh, piggyback that with uh, Nike Hawk 21. Uh, not wanting to steal my thunder, but saying he saw somewhere that uh, Amir Smith-Marset and Tyrone Tracy have been working out with Mar- Marvin McNutt. Kind of heard that, Hawkeye Nye, that there have been some small groups getting together, especially since last Friday when the governor opened up Iowa a little bit more. Um, I think it's given an opportunity for these guys to, to, to work out. Um, I saw, and I may have mentioned this on this podcast, I saw Joe Evans, Hawkeye defensive end uh, at a local park. I was on my walk, and he was out there 
practicing pass rushing moves by himself and doing a workout uh, in the park by himself, which I thought was cool. But uh, yeah, I think we're starting to see um, guys be able to, to work out a little bit more in smaller groups. I think the basketball team is doing that. I don't think they're going to publicize that. Um, and I'm going to keep from publicizing that because there seems to be some negative connotation that comes with that now that they're doing this for the, for the people that are, are where, you know, rightfully so worried about the spread of the virus and, and us as we're kind of phasing back into uh, doing more things that we weren't able to do during the quarantine and the pandemic that uh, we just kind of need to be patient here and kind of see how this thing comes together. But I do kind of see uh, and I'm hearing about guys coming together a little bit more and getting workouts in together. And uh, we'll just kind of have to see how it goes here. It seems like in the next couple of weeks here, we'll get a much clearer picture of how things will look in the fall. And let me update this just to make sure nobody came in with a late question. They have not. So that does it for the basketball board. And now we'll move over to the Hawkeye Nation football message board for your questions on there. And Ian Pikehammer, again, was in first. Uh, and he has, after the success in the Holiday Bowl versus USC and given the quality of the receiving core, do you anticipate Iowa opening up the playbook in 2020? Ah, the million-dollar question, Ian. Uh, everybody wants the playbook opened. I think we saw it a little bit towards the end of last season, uh, particularly in that Holiday Bowl where we saw some uh, – uh, jet sweeps and reverses and things like that. And I think we kind of saw some different things towards the, you know, different uh, aspects uh, of the playbook being open towards the end of the season. Once there was more experience uh, and uh, let's face it, after the Wisconsin game, there wasn't a lot to lose. So uh, Iowa was a little bit more ready to do that. I hope that they don't, um, relax things because um or or maybe relax isn't the right are too tight with play calling because they have a first year starting quarterback i hope they you take advantage of this veteran receiver core relatively experienced group of offensive linemen uh experience uh tight end in the, in the offensive backfield there are pieces around here that i hope it doesn't become conservative i hope they attack like they attacked Minnesota and how they attacked USC. Don't do that just when there's not a conference title on the line. Do the, be the aggressor. Have, put the defense on its heels. Uh, attack with the element of surprise, things that teams haven't seen on film. Uh, have some confidence and trust in, in your players. And I think that we're getting closer to that. How much? Remains to be seen. We'll have to see. First-year starting quarterback has me a little bit reluctant to say that that playbook's going to open up a whole lot. Hawkeye Bob, 62. How are the Hawkeyes getting these commitments during a dead period? Will this downtime hurt quarterback development more than other positions? So we got two questions in there. Uh, We've touched about this before on the commitment front. Uh, Most of these guys, I think with the exception of Jeremiah Pittman, uh, the Chicago defensive lineman who committed earlier this week, uh, and I was up to 15 commitments in the 2021 football recruiting class. Um, Most outside of Pittman, everybody else has visited. A lot of them have visited on multiple occasions. Um, So, um, 
And then you had Luke Elkin, a uh, long snapper commit from Wisconsin on Tuesday of this week as well. He's a walk-on. So the 15 are, are scholarship players, just for some clarification there. But uh, Iowa has built a, a good – Iowa's done a good job of getting into – getting its um, – it's a word I'm looking for uh, – gotten into a cycle of getting whatever the class that's going to sign uh, – so, for instance, the 2020 class was a pretty much wrapped up in the summer of 2019. By doing that, it gives you a chance to work ahead on future cycles. And that's what Iowa has done, and that's helping them kind of stay ahead of, let's say, the competition, because other schools are doing this well, but just getting into a pattern of being able to build relationships sooner with recruits. And that's really helped them during this time where it's been a dead period and all of the recruiting is done uh, via zoom and, and text messages and, and virtually. So that has helped Iowa. And if Iowa can do that again, uh, if things open back up, we'll, we'll, that will be tested here in the, in the 2022 class, unless Iowa can, you know, and, and, like we've talked about on the podcast, unless things open back up and recruiting and that dead period ends and kids can get back on campus. Uh, that'll be an interesting aspect too. Can, uh, can schools, if there are no fans in the stands, are they going to be able to bring in large groups of recruits during home games each week, each week uh, to see the games? So that's just another thing to think about. And if that'll be possible, because that's where Iowa gets a lot of uh, run with recruits is bringing them in and showing them, and then uh, another layer to that is if they do bring them in for games and there are no fans in the stands, that kind of handicaps the environment that they would see at Kinnick when there are fans in the stands. So some layers to think about there, but that's kind of the reasoning. I kind of went off there a little bit on a tangent um, from your question, Hawkeye Bob, but uh, that's the reasoning why uh, they're doing so well in, in recruiting right now. They've had relationships with the kids that are committing. Um, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Will this downtime hurt quarterback development more than any other positions? Uh, probably, because we talked about that, that Spencer Petras is a first-year starter. He really could have used the spring. Um, but development, and Kirk talked about this, I think, on our Zoom meeting or on our teleconference, that, uh, that um, you know, it, it hurts development at every position. You know, and I was going to have new starters at, at strong safety. Uh, and you go around, you know, you go around and around on uh, – uh, uh, you know, at different positions where they're going to have new starters. The good thing is they've, they're experienced at a lot of places too. Uh, but yeah, at a developmental play, place like Iowa, it hurts a lot not to have that spring ball and that development time. But uh, hopefully with that extra semester that Spencer Petras got by enrolling early at Iowa, at, you know, midway through what would have been his senior year of high school, hopefully that can help make up for some of the loss. Uh, Friowa asks, have you heard anything on the new 
wrestling facility expansion. And another thing I wanted to mention about while I, while I answer Friowa's uh, question here, I figured out why uh, the audio was not, my levels were messed up last week on the podcast, Friowa. I had the wrong mic on. I was using my, uh, my, my, the mic from my laptop instead of this external mic in which I'm talking to right now, which hopefully helps uh, the, the volume and the levels of this podcast. You guys can let me know if, uh, if this sound a little better. I have a, 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 a external microphone that I, that I think is, is much better from an audio perspective. So wanted to touch on that too. And hopefully you guys can, can hear the difference. Uh, but Friar's question was, have you heard anything on the new wrestling facility expansion? Was wondering since it's been privately funded and didn't know if COVID's stuff had affected donations or plans. The last time we talked to Gary Barta, Friar, he said, being as that project was already underway, that things were going or the, 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 um, the, the project was going on as planned. So I don't think anything has stopped in that. They're still having to raise money. I'm not really sure. We haven't talked to Gary recently uh, about, the, you know, what, how the uh, donations have been uh, affected, if at all, by the pandemic. But uh, the last time we talked to Gary Barta, uh, things were going on as planned. The, the project was going on as planned. So that was good news. So next time we talk to Gary, uh, Gary, I'll try to get an update on that. But so far, so good with the wrestling facility, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to checking that out. I think it'll be a, a wonderful addition to Carver Hawkeye Arena. And that maybe touches on an earlier question about, uh, I think Ian asked about the, you know, building a new arena that they're extending or putting a new uh, structure on Carver Hawkeye Arena may give us a clue that, uh, that, uh, that, that a new arena uh, is not in the, the near future plans. SSC Kelly asks, in the Big Ten West, who is your sleeper team we need to keep an eye on? Oh, that's a good question, SSC Kelly. I will, uh, I'm going to go with Purdue. Uh, I thought uh, injuries really, really uh, bothered it last year and uh, uh, put a damper on a, a season that could have been much better. I'm really a big Jeff Brom fan. Uh, and I think they can take a big step forward. Really the best, res- I don't want to say like light years better than Iowa, but I think a better receiving core than Iowa. It's close though. It's closer than I would have thought. Uh, and they'll have more experience now at quarterback. Uh, I think they've done a good job of building up their lines and recruiting a little bit better. Uh, so they'll be a little bit more physical. And uh, I, I think Purdue can make some jumps this year. So that would be my sleeper in the Big Ten West, the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, And then his second question is, I need to know what's in this hooch. And did you have some today? Uh, for those that are in the dark here, I uh, I had joked with Friowa and SSC Kelly last week about uh, potentially um, having libations before this podcast to help <laughs> with the audio because I tend to speak a little bit more as, as a little bit louder uh, if I uh, am if I'm partaking. Uh, but I did not do that today. Previous to this podcast, I recorded a podcast with Lucas Van Ness. Uh, I'll, 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 uh, Hawkeye Nation Prospect podcast uh, that will uh, 
that we'll post a little bit later this week. But uh, I, I figured it was probably not a good idea to to dip into the supplies before doing a prospect podcast. Uh, and then I wanted to jump on this one. Maybe maybe uh, during the summer uh, when there's fewer things to talk about and maybe we go off the rails a little bit more. I'll uh, I'll do a po- podcast while uh, while drinking my favorite. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a craft beer guy. I'm not like obsessed with it, but I really enjoy trying different beers. And my go-to are uh, some the the uh, hoppy IPAs. That's kind of my my thing. Uh, Squatters uh, IPA is is one I go to a lot. And I and uh, locally here, Big Grove had a, a sale this week uh, on some of their beers. So I went with their West Coast IPA. Those are the, the beers I have in the fridge currently and will be uh, dipping into later, uh, making a little pasta tonight, little, um, uh, um, make my own spaghetti sauce, got a little sausage, meatballs going in there. Kids love that. So that's, uh, that's what's on the menu for this evening uh, at the How House. Um, Hawkeyes Gone Wild is back again. What are the Hawkeye chances of getting a grad transfer from Northern Illinois defensive Jack Heflin? I would say a lot better with uh, the recent departures of, uh, as we talked about earlier in the pod, DJ Johnson and then uh, Samson Evans, uh, third-year running back out of Crystal Lake. Illinois also decided to go into the transfer portal. So Iowa certainly has room for Jack Heflin, uh, uh, Western Illinois uh, resident native. I don't know if he's a native of there. That's where he went to high school, uh, spent four years, I believe four years at, uh, Northern Illinois, uh, and is going to be a graduate transfer. I have tried different avenues of getting a hold of Jack, um, from messaging him on various platforms to trying to get to his dad and trying to get to his high school coach. And I have been, unsuccessful and I haven't seen anything else. Uh, I'm sure other journalists are trying to do the same. Um, And this is probably something that we may have to wait to see until uh, guys can get on campus and visit before we see anything concrete there. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier on this podcast, but I have mentioned it and written about it on on the site. The dead period has been extended through the end of June. uh, So no on-campus visits until at least July 1st. So, Perhaps Jack could commit sight unseen, but um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I certainly like Iowa's chances. He grew up in Iowa, an Iowa fan, and knows the program. A lot of, and and touched on this on the message boards, he is following, and a lot of coaches around the country are following him. Uh, He is going to be a hot commodity uh, I keep an eye on Michigan too. They have a tendency to hit pretty hard with these graduate transfer uh, linemen. They've, they've kind of uh, upended Iowa on this one before. I do like Iowa's chances better here just based on the background. And we'll just have to see here. And I'll continue to try to get a hold of Jack or someone close to Jack uh, to see if I can get any inside information. Uh, Motivasan checks in with, tell me what you know about the recruitment of Southeast Polk Xavier Wonkpo, I think is how you say his last name, Jackson Daly, and especially Caden Proctor. Well, I was only offered one of those guys, Motobasan, and that is Xavier Wonkpo. And he's visited here before. And uh, I think I was pretty well positioned with him. Um, So, uh, but he's another guy that's just, 
you look at his offer list and it's impressive already. And he's a 2022 prospect. Uh, so he is only going into his junior year, but he's already got offers from Notre Dame, Nebraska, Michigan, Iowa, Iowa state. He's visited Iowa on three occasions. Uh, so Iowa's uh, well positioned there. Jay Neiman is leading the recruitment there. Um, and Jay Neiman is leading recruitment with the other guys you mentioned. Jackson Daly is a quarterback in the 2022 class. So he is uh, classmates with Xavier. He has offers from Iowa State and Michigan already. Uh, so Iowa has not offered him yet either. Uh, Iowa's very deliberate with quarterback recruiting. And uh, uh, my guess was um, – Ken O'Keefe, Iowa quarterback coach Ken O'Keefe, was probably scheduled to go out and watch um, Jackson throw uh, this spring, and that was wiped out by the pandemic. So it's been interesting to see what will unfold there, but he does not have an offer yet. And then Caden Proctor is uh, the best in-state prospect uh, in the class of 2023, 6'7", 270-pound offensive tackle who just – finished his freshman year of high school six seven hundred or six seven excuse me 270 pound offensive tackle that just finished his freshman year of high school think about that (laughs) it's crazy uh but he has offers from iowa state kansas state michigan and nebraska already iowa has not offered him yet he did visit in december i think an offer is coming his way Iowa's doing its due diligence and uh, Iowa has its way of doing things. It just it hands out scholarship offers um, on its own timetable. And when it's dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and done everything it needs to do in the evaluation process. So I would expect Iowa to jump in uh, with with Caden Proctor. Um, not as sure about Jackson Daly. Um, Cause again, Iowa's real particular with quarterbacks, obviously uh, Iowa state and Michigan offering lets you know that the kid's really talented, uh, but it's going to be a matter of how Iowa is evaluating him. And then from Jackson's perspective, you know, in his class, he's coming into a pretty uh, crowded quarterback room. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, but also definitely uh, three guys from Southie, Southeast Polk, excuse me, uh, three guys to keep an eye on. And I uh, appreciate the question, Motobasan. And let me move on here to SSC Kelly is back again. I'm not sure I heard how you wound up in Iowa City. Could you share that on your podcast? Um, I was talking about um, uh, somebody, I think it was Fry who complimented me on the pot, this mailbag podcast. And I appreciate you guys for listening and the positive feedback that I've gotten from this podcast. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy talking to myself, kind of a weirdo that way. And I kind of look at it that I'm talking to you guys as opposed to typing my answers on the message board and just, just another avenue to communicate with you guys. Appreciate you guys being on the message boards. Appreciate you guys understanding about closing down, uh, the COVID-19 thread. I think we've moved on from that and done a really good job with how we're handling that now on the board. And you guys are a part of that. And I appreciate that and the maturity and handling that. Um, but the, I, I talked about not liking, I don't listen to these podcasts cause I don't like to hear my voice. And it's the same if I'm on radio shows or, uh, 
you know, TV or any of that stuff. I have a tough time uh, hearing my voice and I try, I try mightily to uh, suppress my East coast accent. I'm sure it's coming through on here that I don't even know subconsciously in some words. And now I'm going to be even more conscious of it when I'm uh, conscious of it, when I'm, I'm talking right now. But uh, I moved here in, I moved to Iowa city in 1997 from what was the violent Millville daily journal. And that's in Southern New Jersey. I went to college in Southern New Jersey. I went to Rowan university, uh, division three schools. Some of you who are real college football aficionados may remember us getting our asses kicked pretty much and annually in the division three playoffs, often in the stag bowl, uh, by the Mount union power. Um, but the really good high school or really good division three, uh, football and men's basketball. Uh, so that's where I went to college, got my first job at a, at a college at the, at that paper, uh, Millville. You, some of you guys may know is, uh, the hometown of Mike Trout, his dad coached football at that local high school. Uh, so I know his dad and, uh, good athletes coming out of that area. Quite, quite a few good athletes coming out of that part of South Jersey. Uh, if you look at it, you know, a lot of people think of Jersey as North Jersey and the Sopranos, um, but that South area, South Jersey area is a lot more farmland, um, closer to Philadelphia, uh, really nice part of the country. But anyway, I moved out here in 97 for a chance to cover big 10 athletics, uh, got a chance to, to cover Iowa sports. So that's the reason I moved out here, figured I'd stay oh, a couple years, move on, hopefully move up the ladder a little bit, uh, and just fell in love with this place. And, um, Ended up meeting my wife here who worked at the newspaper and we got married in 2001 and we have three kids all born at the University of Iowa hospitals. Uh, left the press citizen in 2003 to join John Miller at Hawkeye Nation. Uh, then with the uh, Insiders Scout 247 network, whatever that has turned into these days, but uh, he had left rivals. I left the newspaper. We had Hawkeye Nation magazine back then. Um, so yeah, that's how I showed up here. And there's more to the story. I, I can tell you guys uh, around a beer sometime when you're in Iowa city, look me up and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sit down and, and belly up and, and have a, a grand time. You guys are buying uh, spider Rico uh, is, is back on the, the football board. And he asks uh, again with multiple questions. And I appreciate that spider other than for the fact that I have to look at that avatar of the clown. Um, Number one is, is it your sense that the staff would be fine if there were no quarterback commit in this class? I, I don't, I mean, would they be fine? I, they'd move on. They'd be okay with it. But I think they want a quarterback in this class. And we've talked about the uh, logistical issues with the pandemic and not being able to go out and evaluate. The, some of the guys that they've offered, um, or most of the guys they've offered, I guess, have committed to other schools. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the depth chart here at Iowa. But I, I, I have confidence that, that Ken O'Keefe would have gone out in the spring and identified more prospects to offer. Um, and I think when when uh, recruiting in-person recruiting does open back up, I think there will be um, an opportunity for uh, Coach O'Keefe to go out and evaluate prospects. And I still still will not close the door on them getting a quarterback in this class. There's a lot of time between now uh, 
and uh, you know, the late signing period in February. So there, there's time for them to identify. And I'm sure they have guys that they've evaluated on film. And I'm sure they have a list of guys that they're looking at uh, in the recruiting process. And a few of those names are out there. And maybe I'll dig in a little bit more and try to uh, try to come up with some stories on some of the quarterbacks that they're looking at at this point. Uh, question number two from Spire. Do you think Skylar Bell delayed the commitment date because Iowa was full and he was planning on committing to Iowa? Would Iowa take a fourth wide receiver in the class? I do think Iowa would take a fourth wide receiver in this class uh, if it was the right guy. I think Skylar Bell could be that right guy. I don't know. I have not. I, I'll try to get with Skylar and get a little bit more information on why he delayed it. I'm of the belief, at least without before talking to him, that he just wanted more time and he hasn't visited Iowa yet either, which is something to keep, you know, to, to remember. Um, and, and I talked about just a few minutes ago that Jeremiah Pittman's the only guy in this class uh, that's committed that hasn't visited. And then Jordan, uh, Jordan, Oh, we like to call him. I always butcher his last name, the Florida defensive back uh, who committed and then decommitted has not visited. So I, I just, it's kind of been a goofy spring just because of the pandemic and the, and the recruiting rules that um, have kind of changed the, uh, the landscape and kind of the decision-making process for some of these guys. And I just think Skyler wanted to wait a little bit longer. I certainly think Iowa is still in the picture for him, uh, but I will reach out uh, Spider and try to get a little bit more information from him. Uh, I think he may want to take some visits, official visits and just be sure. And that's the right approach to have. Uh, then the third question from Spider every year, there's a story quote unquote that emerges on the team. Who's your pick for the story for this year? Assuming we play, of course, um, uh, story. Uh, I can go in different directions here. Uh, a guy we haven't heard of maybe uh, is a way to go with this or a guy that's maybe under the radar a little bit um, or just a guy emer who emerges from good player to star player. Uh, and I'm going to go in that direction, Spider. And I've mentioned this guy a few times on this podcast recently uh, and wrote about him as one of the guys, 10 guys I'm looking most forward to seeing. Uh, and that would be Davion Nixon. I think he kind of just kind of crept, kept, continually crept up last year in terms of getting better as the season went on. The natural ability is there. Um, he's getting coached up by Coach Bell. I think once you marry the, the athletic, natural athletic ability with the coaching, I think this is just a, a breakout waiting to happen. A one of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten type breakouts waiting to happen. Um, and I think that happens this season. Maybe it takes another season um, based on the development lo time lost in the spring that we've talked about, but I think he's ready. And if I were to add another one, I would say Tyler Linderbaum, but I think the expectations are really high for him already after what we saw last year. If he gets to, if he, if he plays consistently well and not have the bumps that he had last year a few times, and I fully expect that to happen, that he will be a consistently dominant player. Um, he's all big 10 caliber. So those would be the two guys for me, but I think people would say that maybe I'm cheating a little bit with Linderbaum because the expectations have been so high. Maybe they're there with Nixon as well, but I feel like he's a little bit more under the radar and less known than Tyler Linderbaum. So, uh, Nike Hawk 21 asks Justin Jacobs, Jack Campbell, or Dylan Doyle, which of these, which of those three players has the biggest impact this year and in what role 
That is a great question, Nike. Um, I was listening to, I believe it was um, the On Iowa Pod with Mark Morehouse and Scott Docterman were talking to Seth Wallace uh, about the linebackers and just the, the dynamic of having that cash position involved now and how it, it lessens, it makes there fewer opportunities for linebackers to make an impact. And within that conversation, he came out and said that Nick Neiman is an inside linebacker now. So with Colbert and, and Neiman on the inside, I'm thinking one of those guys, most likely Neiman lines up and takes over for Christian Welch uh, at middle linebacker. And that probably opens things up at that Leo spot. And the three guys you mentioned could all be possibilities there. Although I think they would like to see, um, either Campbell or Doyle emerge at that middle spot. Justin Jacobs to me is another guy that really lost important developmental time this spring, especially after being injured when he got here. So of those three, man, it's hard to pick one. That's why I say this is a great question. I'm going to go with Jack Campbell. Like I saw from him last year, um, I think he's got the versatility to maybe play the Leo and the middle. Um, But, yeah, it's a toss-up between those three. I think Jacobs is probably behind. I think he could have caught up some in the spring, and now he's still playing catch-up now if we get to start uh, here in the summer or fall with practice. So I would still say he's a little bit behind the other two, being as they've played in games and he hasn't. Uh, Julius Brents, Riley Moss, or DJ Johnson? Okay, I see the timestamp. You asked this yesterday. Uh, So we can eliminate DJ Johnson from which of those three players has the biggest impact the year year and in what role. Um, It's interesting because when Ojemudia got hurt last year, it was Moss who stepped in uh, for Ojemudia and not Brents. I think Brents was dealing with a more severe injury than Moss. So I think that probably factored into it. but those guys probably go in pretty even. They go into to whenever there's a training camp pretty even. Um, I'm going to go with Julius Brands. I think he's he's the guy that I think um, is poised for a breakout if he can stay healthy. Uh, just love his length. Um, but that's not putting – I think Raleigh Moss is, is right there as well, and I think Iowa is – uh, in pretty good shape with the top three cornerbacks and Brents Moss um, and returner Matt Hankins. And maybe that's not maybe. I, I know what DJ Johnson said on Twitter, that playing time wasn't a factor. Um, but he would, I mean, it's pretty simple. He would have had to overcome those three guys to get on the field. And then uh, that's had to have played a little. I mean, if he was a starter, I don't think he would have been leaving. If, you know, the old saying, if I ain't starting, I'm departing. Um, and I don't want to – I haven't talked to DJ about it a whole lot. He, he did tell me off the record a little bit more what went into his decision. Suffice it to say that he just was not happy here, um, and that's the reason he is leaving. What went into that unhappiness, um, some of it will probably be out there and some of it won't. But whatever the case may be, I think Iowa will be okay at cornerback. Uh, TRJS, I believe Iowa has lost eight of nine games to Wisconsin. Do you think it is time for a schematic and or philosophical change to how Iowa approaches this game? If so, what changes will you implement? 
The interesting thing with this is, you know, it, it just seems like these games have, for the most part, been pretty close. And it's just a play here or a play there. And I think you're not, you're being dishonest or not being true to yourself if you feel like what Iowa does against Wisconsin from a schematic standpoint from a system standpoint is as good as what Wisconsin does. Wisconsin right now, after last year's game, plays its system better than what Iowa does when they play each other particularly. And for whatever reason that has held Iowa back. Um, Iowa, uh, I think Wisconsin is, um, has been, at least in recent years, more um, understands its identity better a little bit when they play, whereas Iowa has, has games where it looks like, okay, we know what it wants to do and does it really well. And I think being conservative, of, conservative and, and trying to win at the end of the game, we saw last year once Iowa got well behind and they opened it up a little bit, they hit some big plays. Again, don't be conservative. Don't, I know that the approach is to get it to the fourth quarter and then pull it out. Attack Wisconsin. Attack them and put them on their heels. And Iowa has had problems with the 3-4 and identifying where the pass rushers have come by. And, and schematically, there are some differences there. Um, but I think a lot of it just comes to approach, TRJ. I think it's just going out there and wanting to win, not wanting to win the game, but playing to win, being the aggressor and not waiting for something to happen in your favor to win. And if you think about it, the one game that Iowa won uh, in 2015 up in Madison, that was a mistake from Wisconsin and Iowa capitalized on it, but it was, it was content with playing that conservative style. And Wisconsin does the same thing, but Wisconsin seems to know when to take its shot and where to hurt Iowa. And granted, Jonathan Taylor was a big part of recent success, uh, but I think it goes beyond that. TRJ is black back. Uh, that's more of a comment than a question. Uh, let's see. Spliff45 asks, how crazy is it that Iowa has not had a top 50 rushing? I saw this on, I believe this was on Twitter. I think that's probably where you saw it as well. How crazy is that crazy? And this kind of uh, piggybacks uh, the previous question from TRJ on the Wisconsin game. How crazy is it that Iowa has not had a top 50 rushing attack the past decade, despite having the sixth most offensive lineman drafted in that same time frame. They average number 80 in yards and yards per attempt and 74 in yards per game. Do you think that's primarily due to zone scheme or lack of perimeter weapons? I think it is partially zone scheme. And with that connected to that is predictability. Defenses are faster now. They're more, um, they are uh, more accustomed to seeing what Iowa does. And I think you have to mix it up a little bit. Iowa mixed it up against Minnesota last year. That helped. I'm not, I, I'm not of the belief that you just have to shit can 
the zone blocking scheme. Um, I think you can still use that, but integrate some hat on hat, integrate some misdirection, integrate some things that are less predictable. And I think that can help your rushing attack. And I think there have been good running backs that have come through here. Um, Great running backs? Probably not. I think Goodson has a chance to be that. Akram Wadley was a a very good running back. Um, But Iowa hasn't put a running back in the NFL since Sean Green. They haven't had a, a running back drafted in the NFL since Sean Green. And that's, you know, that's obviously part of the equation. Even if a guy isn't, you know, running for 15 hundred to 2000 yards a year. If he's good enough, he has the skill set. he'll find himself in the NFL and Iowa really hasn't had that. And, uh, you know, we, we went through some quite a few thin years at that position, uh, back in the earlier part of last decade. Um, so that's something that I think also factors into it. So hopefully we're starting to come out of that area where they've been and maybe this next decade can take a step forward with the running game. Motobasan asks, is Keith Duncan a first team All-American when all football magazines start coming out in June? I believe he will be Motobasan. Um, who else can make a case for preseason All-American honors in Iowa? I think you got to put Alaric Jackson in there. Three-year starter at left tackle at Iowa is going to get a lot of looks his way. And, and with these preseason uh uh, teams, magazines, websites, what have you. A lot of it is based not on what a guy is going to do, uh, but what a guy has done. And Alaric Jackson's done a whole lot. I think Linderbaum's another guy. Tyler Linderbaum is a guy that we talked about earlier in the podcast is a guy whose uh, reputation uh, is starting to precede him a little bit after last year's play as a redshirt freshman. So I think he's a guy that could end up on there. That's probably it. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else. From an All-American standpoint, those would be the three guys I I would say uh, that are most likely uh, to get recognition uh, from from preseason. Not an honorable mention or anything like that, but maybe making it on one of the the first two teams, three teams that these these publications and websites put out. Uh, And our last question, I feel like this podcast has gone on a long time and I apologize if if it's been too long, but a lot of questions from you guys this week and I really appreciate it as always. Um, Holmes will wrap it up for us this week. DJ Johnson moved to transfer portal, begged a question from me. What spring practice, without spring practice, is the depth chart static from where it was at the end of last season? Of course, not including the guys who graduated or left early guys like DJ may have made, made a move up the depth chart this spring, but without practice, was he heading into the fall practice stuck in the same place on the depth chart? If so, I can see a lack of spring practice having another unintended consequence guys leaving the program now because they don't want to risk waiting for the fall for their chance to see if they may play more. And I thought he showed signs of being a really good player and I'm sorry to see him go. And as I mentioned on, on the message board homes, I'm sorry to see DJ go as well. I I think um, I just really liked his makeup and what he showed in that Iowa State game where he got burned early but then responded and was named co-Big Ten Freshman of the Week with his play. Um, I really think that he was an asset to the program, and you never want to lose assets. But this is just where we are right now with the transfer portal and guys moving on. And uh, 
we all just need to accept it. And uh, it's disappointing, but uh, it just kind of is what it is. And uh, it's part of the landscape now in college athletics. And I don't blame anybody. I don't blame the players for wanting to go to a place where they can play more. And I don't blame the schools for playing the guys who they feel believe uh, should be on the field. Um, so, but in answer to your question, yeah, the depth chart hasn't changed really since the end of last season because they haven't really done anything. You know, maybe a Koi Kronk is on the depth chart, you know, because it's obvious he's done something somewhere. Um, but yeah, as we've talked about throughout this podcast, podcast that handicaps guys that would have been trying to make a move in the spring. And uh, I know Samson Evans had told me, um, you know, when Jeff Jenkins decided, his high school teammate decided to, to leave school, uh, leave the Iowa program. Samson had told me he was going to give it his best this spring to try to move up and, and get himself into the picture for playing time. He never got that chance. Neither did DJ or neither did any of the guys that were down the depth. But DJ was on the, the, the depth chart at the end of the year, but that does, that's not always reflective of what you see in practice, uh, what's going on in practice. The, the, the coaches like to manipulate that depth chart a little bit. So not always what we see is what is the actual depth chart uh, that the players know when they're at practice. So, yeah, this, that's another uh, – Certainly uh, another casualty of not having spring ball, um, you know, I think was having some of these guys transfer out because now if they come back in the fall and realize and, and you know, they're, you know, can't make any movement, who knows how, how long training camp will be and how much of a chance the coaches will be able to give guys a, an extra look because they're trying to install game plans or try to get the team ready for games all of that stuff factors in. And it's, again, it's an unfortunate casualty to this pandemic. And uh, we'll kind of see here in the next, I think, several weeks how we come out of that and, and what the fall looks like for the potential for college football returning. Uh, and that will uh, give us more things to talk about. So, again, I appreciate you guys uh, sending your questions in, posting them on the, on the message board and on Twitter and on Facebook and uh, participating in this podcast and for listening to this podcast and uh, have a good rest of your week and weekend. And we will talk to you next Wednesday.